0: Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: An Englishman leads Man United for the first time in the Premier League. Julian Lopetegui and Maurizio Sarri return to the homes of their former employers and current league leaders as West Ham look to do what PSG couldn't. It's the Weekend Preview. I'm here with Jimmy Conrad and Jonathan Johnson. K Golasso begins right now. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Leave us a comment, like the video and subscribe to the channel and hit that notification bell while you're at it. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor, leave Kegel also a rating and a review. It only takes a few seconds and it helps us to continue to make free episodes and we love it and it boosts our egos and our confidence. So Mm -hmm, here mm -hmm. we are. Jonathan Johnson, welcome, man. How are you?
2: Yeah, doing very well. Thanks. And yourself? I see it's uh, a marginally better hair day than the last time we we're on here together. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've
1: decided to go ahead and take the hat route for the rest of the year just to deny any sort of uh, what's going on under the head because that was just I had a random attack recently uh, about my potential hair day. So I'm
3: just going with hats for the rest of the year. Jimmy Conrad, what's going on with you, man? Well, in honor of you hosting in place of Luis Miguel Echegaray, hopefully he's enjoying a beach and a pina colada somewhere, I decided to do this podcast in the hotel room, because that's usually where you do your podcasts.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I like that. I like that. That's the beautiful thing about all this, is you can be mobile all the time. And you've been out where you and I both lived at one point, back visiting New York City and getting a chance to spend some time with the CBS folks on the East Coast. But Mm -hmm. let's get into it, guys. Chelsea Man United. This one's on Sunday Carrick, uh, as I said in the intro, and Jimmy thought that it was some sort of lie, uh, will be uh, keeping keeping the reins of this one uh, as the first English coach to lead Man United for a league game since Ron Atkinson in November of 1986. I was two years old. I remember watching that one. It was a great mm-hmm. 1-1 draw with Coventry. I don't know if you guys remember that. Great big, match.
2: Big, big, big Ron Villa legend.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, but listen, this one, obviously, we uh, all the news is about the, the Rangnick hire uh, his, his role within this, the two-year contract extension from a consulting standpoint and what that would mean. I uh, want to get your take. Uh, we'll start with you, JJ, on just overall what you think about this hire. Obviously, it's an interim, but it's got some, it's got sort of a fishtail to it. Uh, do you think that fishtail is more of like, hey, you're going to pay me now, you're going to pay me later? Or is there actually some power with, with regard to this hiring?
2: Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you posed me the question because I had I had to resist throwing my own opinions in when I was doing the pod, uh, the emergency pod episode with uh, Fabrizio the other day. I'm really curious about this one. Obviously, a lot of respect for what Ralph Renick has done over the years, particularly uh, sort of in the past decade or so. Hoffenheim, the Red Bull Empire, you know, all incredible stuff. You know, from a footballing um, perspective, you look at the way that those clubs are formed. It's uh, you know, it's incredible. Can't speak highly enough of the job that he's done there. But then he's taking on Uh, you know a you know a slightly more than interim uh, role with United because I think six months you know is still quite a long time really in a in a season Uh, and then potentially going into a consultancy role we know how much Renek loves to ring the changes Uh, and I you know I I, I really wonder uh, you know how this is going to play out because we know that obviously he gets the six-month managerial gig and then he's going to have potentially two years maybe more uh, as a consultant sort of in a directorial role but Will that be enough to sort of satisfy the changes that he might want to make? Um, I'm not so sure. I mean, I think it's a smart move from United, you know, refreshing given, uh, you know, the way that they've been approaching matters uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, I just wonder if, you know, perhaps this time they might have been better going for the permanent route. I'm not convinced that they would have failed in a pursuit of Mauricio Pochettino had they given it another week or so. But uh, it sounds like they're going to leave that one for the summer. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how Ranić fares between now and the end of the season. Smart hire. I'm just not sure uh, that they realise exactly what Ranić, uh, you know, arriving at Old Trafford might entail.
3: Yeah, I think once they missed out on Antonio Conte, let's say quote unquote market forces didn't allow them to have an incredible manager just sitting there when Liverpool was going through this process, Jurgen Klopp was unavailable when Chelsea most recently was going through this process, Thomas Tuchel was available and obviously those two guys have done tremendous with their respective clubs in England. I like I like the Rangnick one when I look back at his history as a coach though. He tries to get younger players that are mobile, that are smart, that can do more than one thing, and I think the overarching question here is, and we can talk about all of his tactics and how he was the godfather of the gegen pressing That Jurgen Klopp, he's even cited him as a as an influence. He, he's mentored Tuchel. He's mentored Julian Nagelsmann. All of these up and coming German managers that we talk about that have had a Im- big impact on the game. But if you can't solve the Cristiano Ronaldo problem, who's not going to press? Who's not going to help you? I don't give a shit, honestly, what your your background is because you can't press in the same way with that guy in your team and you can't take that guy out of your team given what he means and obviously how clutch he is. I mean, it's, it's a really interesting con- conundrum. Uh, I find that he's under and I wonder what he's going to do in the six months and then also what that means to the manager that they try to bring in or whether Cristiano Ronaldo is just a one season wonder in this particular iteration of the second chapter with Manchester United and they move on with somebody else. With regard to something you asked before, Heath, I actually think that Jaden Sancho is the player that's going to improve the most. I, I think, that him and where he is in his age and, and his ability, I think he's really going to be, and maybe, maybe even Jesse Lingard, somebody who's kind of on the outs, who does have that energy that can press, but the Cristiano Ronaldo problem for me needs to get solved. And I'm very curious to see how he does it.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely. He, but also, can I, can I just uh, bring our attention to his comments uh, a while back about Luke Shaw as well? I know they've done the rounds on social media already. I'm curious to see how Ranick is going to uh, not necessarily backtrack on that, but, you know perhaps kind of justify uh, you know what he said and, and maybe how he tries to change Luke Shaw's game uh, you know once he kind of gets his teeth into him. Also you know let's think about the the potential succession of Ranyiuk for a second. Pochettino, assuming that's the route that United go is a pressing coach. Uh, And he has a similar problem at this moment in time in Paris with Lionel Messi. You know, that really does raise the question about whether Ronaldo stays at Old Trafford for more than one season. If, you know, this is the route, this is the style of play that United are going to want to adopt in the long term uh, after Ranić's uh, time as manager is uh, is up in six months.
1: Yeah, I would love to see Man United sort of modernize their style of play. Obviously, they have some of the tools that you talked about there. Mason Greenwood being another young player Mm -hmm, that I think... mm -hmm. Uh, but but to get back to the game itself, uh, this is an important one for for both these sides. Obviously, Chelsea in in top form. Man United going through some 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 injuries and players not available with Shaw out, Fred, Cavani, Varane, Pogba, Greenwood uh, with with COVID as well. Jimmy, starting with you, I mean, wh- where do you see this one going? And do you think Manchester United, <laughs> who are already depleted, but have you know maybe have a breath of fresh air of of just having uh, an englishman at the helm which by the way no one ever complains about there's not be enough english player and english managers in in the english game they only talk about there not being enough uh players but jimmy where is this one with where where is
3: this one going for you well, I think it's a good opportunity for Michael Carrick just to speak about him briefly, that he did lead them to a big win in Spain. They don't win in Spain and Europe very often, so that was a pretty big deal. He took some risks by not starting Bruno Fernandez in particular. I thought that was pretty bold. But this game in particular marks the first of six games in 16 days following their, their 2-0 win over Villarreal. So it, it's going to be a big one for them to kind of get that that going in the right way. And, and a crazy stat is that in their last five visits to Stanford bridge, they have three wins and two draws. I I just don't see how that's going to happen this time around. I think Chelsea have really found getting closer to their peak. Let's say, I think they've been tremendous. Their four zero win over Juventus was unbelievable. The the three zero win prior to that against Leicester city was also very good. And they're doing it without Romelu Lukaku, who was on the bench against Juventus and should start this one. Or I think I, I think I, I hope he does because obviously he didn't, have the greatest of times at manchester united you could probably you could probably feel him licking his chops to get out there and bang the net a couple times especially um having the opportunity knowing that there will be some fans that maybe gave him a hard time previously i don't know i i i don't see anything but a chelsea win here it's just a matter of whether you think manchester united could score and and i think they'll get some get some chances but it's going to be interesting. The only two things I'll add with regard to Chelsea, Ben Chilwell is out with a knee injury. He's probably done for the season with an ACL. And Golikante also came out with a knee injury. Uh, Kovacic is also out. So Jorginho maybe partnering with, with Loftus-Cheek, who I thought came in and did pretty well against uh, Juventus in his time. And, and you got Marcus Alonso, of course, that can play out wide left. But when Chilwell got hurt, I thought it was interesting that Thomas Tuchel brought in Azpilicueta. Now, the game was 3-0, so you don't need necessarily the attacking foray. From, from Alonso to see that one out. But I'm curious to see who he lines up in this particular instance, especially against what should be a very confident Jaden Sancho in particular on that him on the right side and whoever on the left side for Chelsea.
2: Yeah, ju- jumping in there. Uh, I think one of the reasons why Tuchel goes with someone like Aspilicueta is he's one of those very rare players who, as I've seen him evolve over his career, he spent a bit of time in France with Marseille uh, before coming to the Premier League. He really can play in so many different positions and never really loses that minimum level of quality he reminds me a little or Marquinhos reminds me a little bit of him in how he is so versatile can play out wide in the defense can play central defense but can also move into the midfield as well but sticking with the prediction for the for the results I, I agree with Jimmy I can't really see past a Chelsea win but I feel that, you know, depending on United's performance, this could still be viewed as a positive. You know, I think that there was a lot more fluency in that United performance against Villarreal, something that had been missing over the last couple of weeks. A lot of people noticed that, you know, there actually seemed to be uh, a coherent game plan uh, in place, which was one of the major criticisms of Solskjaer. And I agree with you. I also like the the, the the way that he changed things up. He gave guys like Van der Beek, uh, who we spoke about uh, after Solskjaer's dismissal, uh, a chance to impress as well. So, you know, I think that regardless of the result in this one if the performance uh you know feels positive and you know united are not completely overawed and blown away uh you know then i think that this can be considered uh you know a reasonably uh positive way to to lead into run time
1: yeah i like that and jimmy you know as as you mentioned about uh aspilicueta coming in one of your quick takes on on christian pulisic playing at the nine potentially in this one if if, if uh Lukaku is considered sort of surplus to requirements still, and just sort of working their way in into this. I want to get your thoughts on that, and then your betting tips on this game.
3: Yeah, what I'll say really quick is I thought Pulisic was a tactical ad. I mean, and it maybe it may necessity at that point. But with Lukaku available, it, it seems like you would. Why wouldn't you run him out there? You got Bae and probably Lindelof starting. McGuire, who got a red card, and his last one's going to be out. That's going to hurt them a little bit. Veron is still out, obviously. I think that's been a big loss for the team overall. Uh, With regard to Pulisic, I thought he was in there because he can just make those darting runs with those slow, lumbering center backs of Juventus, and I thought that that did enough to create some space for some of the other players, and obviously a 4-0 result speaks for itself. They've won five out of their last six, Chelsea, without Lukaku, but I just feel like Lukaku might be the best fit. Timo Werner, obviously, is going to be an option, too, as he rounds back into health. My quick betting tips: There have been over two and a half goals scored in Manchester United's last four away games. Obviously, Chelsea are playing an unbelievable clip, scoring seven and giving up zero over the last two. I like Chelsea to win an over two and a half goals plus one thirty. Pretty safe, all things considered, but I just think Chelsea have too much right now, and I feel like Man United, though, showing some signs of something a little bit different under Michael Carrick, are running into a team in peak form right now, and uh, I think it's going to be a hard press for that. I could see. A, a 2-1, 3-1. One, one. I could I could know uh, 3-0. I mean, it's, I don't know. There's a couple options there. That's why I'm kind of staying away from both teams to score and just saying Chelsea and over two and a half goals.
1: Oh, Jimmy, it sounds like you're getting warmed up with your betting tips here today. You know, you're just throwing a few different That's numbers out to there save. for people that, yeah, I, I I can respect that. Let's move on to Manchester City versus West Ham. Man City, obviously at home on this one. The Hammers, by the way, have won just one of their last 15 away games, EPL away games against Man City. One draw, 13 losses, winning 2-1 in September 2015. Under Slavin Bilic. So, you know, JJ, let's talk to you about let, let, let's start here with Man City. Obviously, another team that could be going deeper into their bench. There's there's talk of maybe Cole Palmer getting another run at this game. No KDB in this one. Sterling's in decent form. So I wanted to get your take off the top here. West Ham, who had a comfortable, comfortable win midweek in the Europa League. Just kind of where where are you at with this one? Do you think Man City can hold on to this? Are they missing too many pieces? Are they out of rhythm? Just kind of give me your take.
2: No, anything but. I think uh, looking at the way that City performed against PSG, coming back from a goal down they really should have been out of sight by halftime given the chances they created. You know, Gundogan hitting the post. PSG had three defensive last-ditch uh, interceptions uh, to, to deny them a goal. But ultimately, City got the win that they deserved in that one. And it's it's just so impressive to see how well-oiled Pep has this machine. You know, I kind of wondered if they might fall apart a little bit after last season's Champions League final defeat. They haven't. They look like they're gearing up to go again. So I just think this is all about maintaining that kind of rhythm. Uh, I don't think Pep will make too many unnecessary changes especially against a team as dangerous as West Ham you know we've already seen the Hammers beat Liverpool so far this season uh you know West Ham as well now through in the Europa League as well so they don't really have to throw much manpower at that in the final game of the of the group stage so I think that this one is a, a potential banana skin for City uh and I think that you know if they underestimated at their peril basically you know because I think that West Ham could quite easily come away uh with a point here you know they've uh, They've come on so much under David Moyes over the last six months or so, uh, you know, that I think that they will really, uh, you know, ask some tough questions of City.
3: Yeah, this is this is a, a banana peel is a great way to say it, JJ. I like that. I'm going to steal that phrase. <laughs> I will say that that West Ham did knock out City in the Carabao Cup. So they have something like that to rely on. That was a zero zero and And they show that they have at least the ability to hang with these guys. Now, I feel like City are playing better now than they were then. But. That said, I think that that little bit of confidence, knowing that you've stepped on the fields not too long ago and, and went toe-to-toe with these guys is important for a confidence perspective. Mikel Antonio in particular looked great for Jamaica in the international break. Didn't play midweek against Rapid Vienna to be rested for this particular game. And I think that could help him obviously be a, a real real threat for for the Hammers in particular. It's a tough one for me. I think 1-1 was the, the last time they played. It was 0-0 in the Carabao Cup. And it, I think it went to Pens, And then in... And then 1-1 was their last game in the Premier League. I could see it been under two and a half goals, you know, plus 200. is really good. I'm, like, getting drawn to that. They're, like, teasing me on Caesar Sportsbook. I bet that, bet that. But I really like what City's about, even without Grealish, without Kevin De Bruyne. They seem to be really well-balanced right now. When I look at that back line, Cancelo has been excellent this season. Kyle Walker on the other side. You got Ruben Diaz. I think Laporte will come in for stones for this particular matchup, but it doesn't really matter. Rodri's been fantastic. I mean, they're just... When they're really good on the defensive side of the ball, it's just they start to get so much more confidence and, and more time to do what they want going forward. And they're really – Bernardo Silva's been – I don't know. It's hard. It's, I can look at West Ham. We can make a narrative there. Maybe the draw is the play. But I really like Man City to win. Both teams to score plus 175. If you think they're going to get the, the, to the clean sheet, Man City to win and, and West Ham not scoring, that's plus 115. They've got – just so you know, Man City have seven clean sheets in the last nine games in all competitions. It, it's worth throwing all that out there. Real quick from either of you guys, do you think that
1: Man City, who are sort of being tested right now in terms of their depth, do you think this is a worry for them? Do you think they come out on top? Or are they not really being tested in the fact that you have no KDB, which is happens every season for long periods, no Phil Foden, potentially no Jack Grealish. Do you think that this is a test for them more than it is just a same, similarly a, a squad rotation and the fact
2: that none of them are long-term injuries? I think uh, for me... I, I'm not too worried about Foden and Grealish. However, I think that Brian being out so often so far this season, it's almost like sitting out preparing for the next phase, which will probably be without the Belgium international. As great as he was uh, last season, you know, at his age, uh, you know, I think it, the the chances of him coming back and being as influential as he was before, uh, you know, are kind of diminished. I don't know. We'll see what happens over over the winter. Uh, you know, we always know that that period, runs teams into the ground. But I think that not having Greedish and Foden uh, is not going to be that much of a concern for for City because, you know, they are sort of the long-term future uh, of the club. But of course, you know, if any team in Europe is equipped with enough depth to, to deal with, uh, you know, losing those kind of players, it, it's it's somebody like City. And, uh, you know, I agree with Jimmy. Uh, you know, I could see the draw here. And my, my pick for the score, uh, you know, regardless of the squad depth uh, discussion, will be 1-1.
3: Nice. I appreciate that. I just want to speak really quick about injuries to West Ham because Ogbonna, one of their top center backs, starting center backs is out for the season with an ACL tear. <laughs> it means Craig Dawson is going to probably be starting next to Kurt Zuma f- for the foreseeable future, but I think in the January transfer window, there are two names in particular that I think they should look at. And one of them's John Anthony Brooks from Wolfsburg because if he's on the, I don't know, the outs, let's say with Greg Burholt or the US Men's National Team coach, maybe making a move to West Ham. To to play in the Premier League could turn his head, Greg Berhalter's head, to maybe get him back into the team. That's one. I think a really smart signing though would be uh, Sven Botman from from Lille. Uh, I think he's six foot four, super mobile. Uh, I think that West Ham and David Moyes in particular like those big center backs. There's some other guys out there that maybe a little bit smaller, but good passer of the ball, and I think he would be a nice fit. And I wonder what I'm seeing is about 30 to 40 million for him, and I think that's a bit of a steal. I'd like to hear from JJ just really quick because he follow uh, league on quite closely.
2: Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, Lille make a couple of sales uh, in January. Maybe less so if they actually make it out of their Champions League group, which is looking you know positive at the mm-hmm. moment. Uh, I think we'll discuss Lille a bit later when we talk about Lyon. But in terms of Botman, I, I can see there being some departures in Lille. Uh, this winter whether whether interest comes back for Renato Sanchez he was very close to a move in the summer before he got injured uh, whether somebody comes in with a massive offer for Jonathan David uh, you know we'll just have to wait and see but the, the the good thing about the position that Lille find themselves in at this moment in time is that none of their players have minimum fee release clauses in their contract because it doesn't exist in France you know and having so many of those players who are attractive to, to clubs like West Ham uh, at this moment in time you know I think really uh, plays in their favor and on the John Anthony Brooks Uh, you know there was a we did a giveaway recently collaboration between Wolfsburg and and CBS Uh, and I think as well with with Brooks given the way that Lacroix has developed uh, for Wolfsburg over the the last couple of months he is one of the hottest defensive properties in Europe along with guys like Koundé Uh, you know I think that it it wouldn't be a huge surprise to see Wolfsburg keen to cash in on somebody like Brooks so that they can keep Lacroix uh, a little bit longer especially if they re-qualify for the Champions League
3: yeah, yeah, Brooks,
1: one of the highest paid defenders in in the Bundesliga. It could be one of those moments, as you mentioned, JJ, where it's a perfect time to get some of that money, recoup some of that back and also cut down on the old wage bill for some of the younger players you have coming up that are that could use another season or two before a big transfer. So moving on to the rest of the matches in the Premier League, uh, Des, if you want to throw up the fixtures, uh, obviously Saturday and, and obviously my only take on this one, Arsenal versus Newcastle, I say mm-hmm. let's judge them on a two match. Uh, window. This is the second match of their two-match window, and we're looking at Mikel Arteta of saying, "Are they are they better than they were before? Can they bounce back from tough losses like
3: they 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 just had?" But uh, do any of these ones stand out to you, Jimmy? That that you want to speak of? Well, I'm a Newcastle fan, so I'm curious to see with Eddie Howe, who had COVID, being on the sideline for the first time, traveling to the Emirates. I'm, i I want to see how Arsenal do. They have shown actually pretty good trend of beating teams that they should it's just the ones that they're having trouble with are the chelsea's the Cities, the liverpool's of the world so i actually like arsenal to do the, do the business here and in fact for a parlay everybody parlay partay i if you go arsenal man city and chelsea to all win you get two to one so plus 200 there i like that value a lot i think arsenal are going to beat newcastle as much as that pains me to say i think newcastle is still trying to figure out who they are and what they're about they're on the bottom of the table so there'll be some urgency but i think Arsenal's going to have a little bit too much that's the game i'm looking at the most JJ, any of those stand out to you from this Saturday or should we move on to the Sunday matches?
2: No, no, no. I mean, obviously, as a Villa fan, I'm desperate to see how Gerard follows up that successful debut against mm. Brighton uh, away at Crystal Palace. That one's going to be a tough one, uh, but I'm keen to see what he does, like, you know, which potential pieces of the the jigsaw he wants to look a bit more closely at uh the other one as well that I've I've kind of got on my radar is Brighton Leeds and it's it's interesting because Brighton started the season so well yet they've really tailed off a little bit recently and they're coming up against the Leeds side who have spent the majority of the beginning of the season down and you know, in the, at the wrong end of the table. And now this could be a moment where Brighton either, you know, continue to sort of keep themselves in the upper reaches of the table or maybe drift down towards that relegation zone. You know, obviously I was talking about Villa earlier, hoping that we're going to make a, a push back into the upper reaches before the end of the year. Uh, and Brighton are one of those teams who, you know, could potentially fall away. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that one plays out. But going into, into Sunday's matches, uh, I think I'd probably choose... Burnley spurs not because I think it's going to be particularly sexy but uh I'm keen to see how the players react to Antonio Conte absolutely losing it after that defeat against Mura in the uh, conference league uh in midweek I love I love when when somebody goes well it turns out uh it's
1: not what I thought things are a little bit uh yeah I'm getting a better <laughs> idea that there's some problems I'm,
2: in this I'm, I'm still ha- I'm still happy here it's only been three weeks <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: but I'm realizing things. It might, there might be a few more issues than, uh, than I thought, and it's all starting to make a little more sense to me now. Uh, Jimmy, was there anything from that Sunday? Des, you want to go back to that, th- throw, those, uh, throw those schedule back up so I can read through for anybody listening to it on audio? Brentford take on Everton on Sunday. Burnley, Spurs, Leicester take on Watford, Man City, West Ham, Chelsea, Man United, all of those on Sunday. And then Saturday, we're looking at Arsenal, Newcastle, as we mentioned, Crystal Palace against Villa, as we also mentioned, Liverpool, Southampton, Norwich take on Wolves, and Brighton play home to Leeds. Jimmy, on that Sunday match, was there anything that stood out to you as well?
3: Well, I, I think that seeing, you know, the, the big ones that we've already discussed, I think, and the Spurs angle is really interesting. Antonio Conte, you know, throwing his players under the bus, saying they're, after three weeks, you know, he's figured out that he, he, he's he got a lot of more work to do. is super funny. Um, because I think Jose Mourinho and and uh, Nuno Espirito Santo were all saying the same things. So, so like well, that. But but Jimmy, isn't that s- sort of bizarre? I mean, isn't that sort of the crutch of all of this? Like,
1: it, or, do you get to use that crutch when you realize that Sir Jose Mourinho was there before you and had trouble figuring it out? And you're gonna be like, oh no, it must be. So- I- I'll go in there and I'll figure it out. It won't be that bad. And then you go, oh man, I just got smacked in the face a couple times in the Europa Conference League. Uh, yeah, this is deeper than I thought.
3: Yeah, no, there's a, there's a lot to unpack, I think, with Spurs. And I think it's just maybe a certain methodology that was in place where I heard Nuno was going a little bit easier on him, maybe, maybe on purpose to contrast what Mourinho was doing, who can be a tough bastard, as we know, and, and uncompromising. And now they've gone back to an uncompromising manager. And I don't know. I mean, for me, the underlying message is, my players are soft. I mean that that is it, and I, th- I think that he has a lot of work to do to try to figure out who's going to stay and who's going to go. I think it's gonna be an interesting January transfer window for for Spurs in particular, but he can't move what how many players he can maybe maybe one or two or three maybe in the in the window, maybe grab one or two or three. But I think the summer is where we're gonna see uh, you know the heavy hand of Antonio Conte come in and do what he's gonna do. And we'll see if he's burned out by that point, but I find it interesting that there's always this theme of is this team good enough are they soft they don't really seem like they have the mental capacity to to win anything of consequence and to do what's necessary to win games so yeah, there's a lot to unpack with Spurs. I feel for Spurs fans. They get all this false hope all the time, and it never goes anywhere for like 40 years.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> I feel uh, like
3: there's a lot of
1: clubs that uh, <laughs> get a lot of false hope all the time. That's sort of the narrative. JJ, what were you going to say?
2: Yeah, I was going to say just on Conte as well. I mean, cast our minds back to last season. Uh, you know, obviously, Inter won uh, the Serie A title, but there was a period where they were struggling to balance domestic and continental duty. Uh, they ended up going out of Europe, uh, and they were able to then, you know, put all of their effort into, into the league. And Spurs are now in this tricky situation where they're going to come up against Rennes, who have won the group thanks to Moura's uh, victory late on. Uh, and now the best that Spurs can hope for is second place. And if they don't manage to beat Rennes, you know, they're probably going to drop out uh, altogether. And that might actually be a blessing in disguise for Conte. It's one less distraction, and it would allow him to actually, you know, dig a bit deeper into this squad uh, sooner than uh, he probably hopes to if they stay in Europe. Wow, well said. I I mean, the only disappointing thing
1: for me is that no one's talking about how Harry Kane scored and how important that was uh, for the team of just getting a goal in the Europa Conference League. They
3: were down a man. In in fairness to them, they were down a man because Ryan Sessegnon got a a red card or two yellows in 33 minutes. So it wasn't like they lost 11 v 11. And the fact that they scored to make it 1-1, the problem with them is, and I think this is what pisses off Antonio Conte and previous managers, is that they don't have the mentality to see the game out. Everybody would have been pleased. Oh, wow, you're down 1-0, down a man. You came back in it. Harry Kane scored 1-1. Now we need to lock the game down and get the points. And that is what they lack, is that mentality to close out games. And they're not alone in that. We, we can name a lot of teams at Villarreal. We're going to talk about them. Very similar this particular season. But But Spurs, for whatever reason, that's just what they lack. And they've lacked that consistently over many years. And so, yes, again, I feel for Spurs fans here. Well, we're going to take a quick break on that note. If you're listening to this on audio, we'll be right back. If you're watching this
1: on
0: video, stay right here. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: All right, everyone, we are back. Let's move on to Syria, boys. Syria, that is the gift that keeps on giving. Obviously, we've (laughs) talked about this. Every single weekend, there's some sort of matchup, and it's such a beautiful thing when a league that was traditionally two or three teams now has so many teams that there's always one or two uh, tasty matchups. First one uh, we're going to talk about is Napoli versus Lazio on Sunday on Paramount Plus. Uh, Sorry, back at the San Paolo Diego Armando Maradona Stadium, and then and then also on the flip side, what does the uh, Osimon injury mean to Napoli's title chances? JJ, you talked about. Teams going out, obviously Napoli were unbeaten. They're now beaten twice, I believe, in Europe, once in the league. Uh, you know, when you're thinking about going on these runs, they're on the verge also of, of, of the knockout rounds. Things could go either way for them. How important uh, is, is this match and how important is Osiman's injury towards their, their ability to stay in this fight?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's an absolute hammer blow. I wrote about it earlier in the week. Uh, you know, Spalletti is now basically going to be asking himself between now uh, and January, where there are some real crunch games coming up, this one included, uh, you know, where are those goals going to come from? Because he's got, a you know, a couple of guys in the squad, you know, who are chipping in from time to time, uh, you know, but it, they're, they're not prolific in the same way that Ossiman has been uh, sort of over the last couple of months. So that is, you know, quite problematic. I mean, okay, I know Dries Mertens, uh, you know, scored a wonderful late goal against uh, Inter Milan, despite the fact that they lost the game. You know, does that mean that he might be ready to, you know, sort of give it one last blast? Uh, You know, we know how much of an iconic figure he is at Napoli. He's now their all-time top scorer in Serie A. Uh, You know, but I I just worry for Napoli where those goals are going to come from to, to win the game. You know, there's always been rumors around Insigne uh, since the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. There's talk that mm-hmm. he might even end up going to to Toronto, uh, you know, if a, if a big contract is put in front of him. Uh, you know, they've got Hervin Lozano, who, you know, can be great on his day, but, you know, is 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 pretty inconsistent for for Napoli and not sort of an out-and-out goal scorer that they need. Uh, and then they've got some other sort of peripheral figures like Pitania, uh Politano as well. So, you know, for me, the big question is how does Spalletti suddenly solve this massive lack of goals uh, in the in the squad, especially coming into the the bigger games that they've got between now and the winter break?
3: Yeah, i just the, jump the, in the
2: real quick. The, the
1: Lazio, the, the betting tips on this are a plus 350 uh, for a Lazio win.
3: I mean, do you think it's that lopsided of a, of a matchup in this one? I don't think it is that lopsided, but I will say that Napoli are undefeated in their last 17 home matches in Serie A, well, Lazio have failed to win nine of their last ten away from home. So when you look at that, sure, there's a draw that can be baked in there, but I do think that that seems a little heavy, especially because Victor Osiman, who is going to be out, he broke his cheekbone against Inter Milan. Uh, the defender there, Scriniar, they collided heads. And he broke his cheekbone. He's out for three months, which means he's going to miss the Africa Cup of Nations as well for Nigeria.
1: And by the way, Jimmy, when you, anytime you say three months on a bone like that, there's such a variable of time of like healing 100%. and things you can't control. You go, okay, 90 days. But, you know, working a player back in, especially like that, we saw with Raul Jimenez, obviously a completely different type of injury. But it can take a long time before one, the comfort, to the, the health and safety probably going to have to play with a, a face mask for a bit which is, can also you know be be something different sorry to interrupt uh, your point there but no, just no, pointing no. out that you could be looking at march to 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 may uh before you have a player that's back in form again obviously four goals in the
3: uh in in Europe five goals in the league right you're right you got nine goals in 14 matches in all competitions very mobile right he can do a lot of different things he can create goals on his own and i think that's where the options for Napoli start to fall off. Patania can do some things, but he's good at holding up the ball, which I think is important. But is he going to get on the end of stuff? Is he going to run the channels? Is he going to be the first line of press and do it in a meaningful way? I just don't see that happening. So Spalletti's got some big questions. You could go false nine. Is that going to work for them? I don't know. They got a lot of questions. But Lazio have struggled a little bit under Maurizio Sarri. But that said, in midweek, they had Chiro, the hero, of Mobley come back. And they're not the same when they don't have their number nine. But when he came back, he scored two goals. Okay, penalties. two of them are, were penalties. That's fine. That's fine. But but his mere presence makes a big difference, not only for a club, but also country. When he's not there for Italy, they really, really suffer when they don't have a proper number nine. And I think Lazio falls into that as well. This is probably going to come down to the midfield. Like, who's really going to control and dictate the midfield? Who's going to get the ball out to Insigne or Tuki Lozano, whoever? and get them in good spots to make something happen. Those guys, Napoli's very good at creating opportunities. It's just a matter of whether they can finish them. Sometimes they, they have a tough time, and without Osum in there, who's been on fire this season, it could be a little bit of a taller ask. I could see a draw here, ultimately. I don't remember what the draw is. What is it, plus 275? So so I like I like Napoli to figure it out just because the stats are going their way, and they're going to want to have a response after losing two games on the trot. But uh, this Lazio team is going to be a, a tough task. I like the draw, plus 275. Yeah, really well, let's,
2: let's let's see. are just a really really weird team uh this season you know i've been i've written about them a couple of times and they seem to perform really well in the big games you know they can win their derby against Roma you know upset some of the you know the the title contenders in Serie A but then they'll go and get get absolutely hammered by some average right. team like Bologna uh and it's you know i really think that they'll turn up here uh, and put in a good performance. The draw wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't even surprise me to see them nick it. I mean, you look at the the the, the hit to Napoli's confidence that they've taken in losing to Inter and then going to Russia and getting beaten by Spartak Moscow as well. Uh, you know, and I, I think that Lazio, you know, may well even sneak this one. I'm, I'm tempted to say a 2-1 Lazio victory. Oh, I like that. I like that. Bold. A little
1: Lazio love into this one. That's why we bold. have JJ here. Yeah, exactly. He knows way more than we do, or does he? Uh, we'll find out <laughs> over the weekend. Moving on to the Juventus versus Atalanta match. This is one again, the bipolarity of, of Juventus that we've seen. They beat Roma. They beat, uh, they draw, enter, beat Lazio, get battered by Chelsea. They lose to Sassuolo. I mean, I don't know what to make of this team. Every time I overread or overthink into how good is this team what could they be what's the the form? like could they have a consistent run of form are they becoming defensive are they becoming disciplined and this is their new fighting spirit they go and they just get battered by somebody or lose to somebody that they shouldn't Jimmy uh for you in this one Atalanta obviously coming off of a 3-3 draw against um against young boys which I think is a little problematic
3: but you know who do you, who do you see taking the three points or do you see this one being a draw This is a great, great question. I like Atalanta in a lot of different ways. Their defending is terrible right now. They gave up 10 goals in their past five in all competitions, including three, as you mentioned, to young boys when they were in a position to really lock it down. They're a team that's very good going forward. Duvon Zapata has scored in six straight games, everybody. He is on fire, so he's feeling very good. And when you have Luis Muriel Muriel, excuse me, playing underneath him – they're just, they'd be, you know, you got Pasalic you got Ilicic. I mean, they got players. And Robin Gussens might be coming back in too, and he gives them a little bit more balance out wide. He's been hurt for a little bit. But going, when they lost Christian Romero to Spurs, who I thought really excelled in the back three under Gasparini, and then Golini left as well, who was a little bit more of a consistent goalkeeper for me than Musso currently is, I, I they missed that presence a little bit. And, and I think Juve could take advantage of it, but only if Chiesa is up for it, because I think they have a problem about, who starts up top? Morata hasn't really been the guy. Moise Ken, you know, maybe he's not Do you not like him with r- two
1: up top or do you? are you a one up top, uh, you know? I, that's it, it, I, I still they, don't they've, know. They, they've played between
2: both, um, including a back three or back four.
3: What, what, what it seems one
2: like – one, one thing I'd add about Moise Ken is you can't play him up front on his own. Having seen him for a season at PSG, minimum two guys up top to, to make him work and even better when you've got three.
3: No, that's a great insight. I appreciate you saying that because I think it it lends itself to maybe why he's struggling. And sometimes when you're a younger player, you just need a couple run of games without feeling. So you can just be yourself and try things without saying, oh, if I make a mistake, I'm going to be out. But if I'm a Juve fan, I'll be kind of pissed at what Maxi Allegri is trying to do. I mean, it's been very defensive to kind of eke out results. And maybe that's what he thinks he has to do. But they do have some, it feels like they got handcuffs, almost Diego Simeone-esque, where you have some really good attacking players, but are they being put in a position to actually you know, attack with numbers? You know, maybe they're attacking in twos, maybe in threes. Sometimes if they get some possession, then Juan Cuadrado, our favorite John Square, can whip balls in, you know, and, and then maybe Sandro on the other side. At times they create that and, and have that meaningful possession but it doesn't seem like they're doing that as often. And obviously I think all Atalanta needs to do is look at that Chelsea game midweek and be like, yeah, we're going to do a little bit of that and a little bit of this. And we like that. And this is how we're going to shut them down. Now, I know DiBala didn't start midweek and he, obviously he's an X factor for Juve. And so is Chiesa. I thought Chiesa was relatively quiet against Chelsea, but when you have a back three with, with wingbacks and know what they're doing defensively, it's a good way to shut them down. And Atalanta sets up very similarly to Chelsea. They're just not as good at doing those things defensively. So, I could see Atalanta get in results here. They've won seven out of the last eight away from home in Serie A, but Juve are undefeated in their last 22 home matches against Atalanta in all competitions. That's got to stand for something. But I actually, I think Atalanta could. could yeah, well, they game, also won 10
1: seasons straight, Jimmy. And okay, so fine. you're running with some serious
3: stats here
1: <laughs> that you're, you know, going back to the medieval times to try to justify this one. JJ, what, what's your prediction on this one? And then uh, we'll have uh, Dez throw up the, uh, the, the, the rest of the fixtures over the weekend that we'll go through.
2: You know, I did the preview for this one earlier, and I think I went for a two-one Atalanta win. I'm, I'm I'm really into my multi-goal away team wins uh, this weekend. Yeah, uh, but for me, I, I think Juve are you know they're, they're not in their best moment at the moment, kind of running on diesel. Uh, I agree with Jimmy completely. It's almost like uh, Juve have gone back in time under Allegri uh, since he's come back in, uh, and Atalanta. Yeah, they're conceding a lot, but it's kind of always been part of their charm that their games are just wild. Uh, you know, they just outscore their opponents. So, you know, I wouldn't be as worried about that uh, if I was uh, an Atalanta fan coming into this one. I, I think they'll outscore Juve in this one. I mean, you look at, I mean, Zapata's got, what, eight goals so far this season? That's more than Juve's two top scorers combined, who are mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Bonucci and Dibala I think they've got three each. So, you know, I I, I see an Atalanta win. I'm it, with the you. I'm with getting, you, JJ. It's getting more difficult.
3: And, and Atalanta to <laughs> win both teams, the score is plus 500. I like that five to one. Mm. Uh, those odds. I like those a lot. So oh. I have to take a hard look at that if you're interested. I'm a big fan of that one
1: as well, obviously. I just look at this Juve side and I just think, man, even if with Delict on the field, you just got you just need some younger players and the way that, that Atalanta attack and the pace that they attack with, I just don't see them not scoring and if they're going to score, they're going to go for multiple and I just can't see Juventus having the consistency to come back. Um, but to, look, to take a look at for you audio files out there that can't see this on the screen, Cagliari, Calgiri play against Salernitana. Empoli play against Fiorentina on Saturday. That that, that Calgiri match is on Friday. Empoli, uh, Fiorentina on Saturday. Sampdoria take on Verona. Juventus, Atalanta, as we mentioned. Venezia play against Inter Milan. We've obviously seen Tanner Tessman uh, get a little bit more time alongside Gianluca Busio. It would be great to see them play uh, in this matchup as well. And then on Sunday, Udinese play Genoa, AC Milan, home to Sassuolo, sexy Sassuolo, who are difficult to beat. (laughs) Spezia or Spezia play against uh, Bologna, Roma, Torino, Napoli, Lazio as well. Of all those games, I don't want to stay on these too long, but if you're passionate about one, JJ, is there anything that stands out to you?
2: Yeah, I go back to Saturday's games uh, and I think that the sort of low-key Tuscan derby between Empoli and Fiorentina, I'm not, not trying to get too uh, hipster, but I've been quite high on uh, Fiorentina <laughs> in the way that they've been rebuilding under uh, Vincenzo Italiano all season. And I think that result against Milan, uh, you know, that crazy 4-3 win was uh, the the real result that they needed to, to kick on this season because I, I have a feeling they're going to gate crash the European places. I
3: like no, that. I would just jump in and say that Venezia hosting inter Milan is going to be a good game venezia winning two games on the trot to probably find themselves higher up to the table than they ever thought they would be at any point this season inter Milan though coming off you know a, a big win midweek to to really solidify their stance in the Champions League so that's a, that's a great game especially from an American perspective you know Gian, Gianluca Busio is in the team and we'll see if Tanner Testman gets to start but I'm also looking at Roma versus Torino I think that's a good one on Sunday to see if uh Jose Mourinho can do anything to kind of keep that uh, big win against Genoa last weekend where he gave that chance to Felix Gian. The youngster came on and scored two goals to help them get the three points. So I'm excited for for the Roma game and and for Venezia Inter. I like that. I like that. It's
1: funny when we talked about, when we we, we were talking to Venezia very early on, connecting them to the Paramount Plus team is like, hey, wouldn't a follow doc be great on this American run club? And they were just like, we don't know what's going to happen right now. And there's a few key members of the club that are like, yeah, it'd be amazing. But what happens if this is a horrible, horrible thing and the whole world sort of, Gets to take a look under, under, the, under the dress of this club. Uh, but now they're doing better than I think even they expected, Jimmy, as you mentioned. So let's move on to Ligue 1. We have our Ligue 1 expert uh, and Jonathan Johnson. <laughs> so why would we not uh, push some of the other leagues around the world further down to make sure that we get all of the juice squeezed out of this one? JJ, what's the uh, mood in Paris right now around, uh, around uh, Pochettino?
2: Uh, hugely frustrated. Uh, the football that PSG are playing is not good, not good at all, as we saw against City in midweek. Uh, and, you know, the feeling is that it's really just sort of a temporary truce uh, between Pochettino and PSG, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone's convinced that Pochettino and PSG is really going to last that much longer. Sure, they might get to the end of the season, it seems, uh, you know, to be the the angle that PSG are pushing at the moment. Uh, but I, I don't think PSG are going to win anything major uh, of note. And that's with all due respect to the league on title, which at the beginning of every season, we expect PSG to be dominating anyway. Uh, because, you know, I just don't see uh, how Pochettino is suddenly going to magically, uh, you know, develop some sort of identity, uh, you know, and stamp his mark on this team between now and the end of the season. You know, he, he looks lost, for want of a better word, on the touchline uh, and uh, tactically as well. Well, don't you think he's probably starting, uh, with, uh,
1: Ranyuk, uh, starting to build a little tactical plan for his new club, spending more of his time, uh, on the phone, working through those things. I mean, I don't think that's far from, from reality, to be honest, where he's like, well, I could spend my time trying to fix this problem. I can't fix, or maybe look to the future, uh, and see what happens in the summer. Let's switch over to, to, to Lille with Jonathan David, a little CONCACAF chat, uh, Jimmy, I'll, I'll start with you. Obviously, this is a player who only uh, Erling Haaland has scored more goals in, uh, for 2000s-born players uh, in this season. Uh, obviously, highest scorer in the league, I believe, right now, and has more than half of his, his team's goals. Jimmy, I mean, for a player like that, I mean, how big is that? One, for CONCACAF, but two, to solidify himself uh, as one of the top strikers in the league. When we talk about, you know, the 100 to 100-plus 100 million transfers, he's a player that's going to be pushing that limit
3: Uh, Do you see him making a move uh, sooner than later? I do. I'm curious what JJ ultimately thinks. But what I also found is another stat that you didn't mention is that in the calendar year of 2021, Jonathan David has as many goals as Kylian Mbappe, which I think is pretty tremendous and, and something worth talking about for sure. I heard Inter Milan is interested in him. And I'm sure there's some other clubs that are interested as well. Why wouldn't they be? But he's been fantastic. And obviously, this is going through a transition from a manager that helped them win the league last year and Christophe Galtier to somebody different. And they really struggled. But despite that, he's still finding a way to score goals. And I really think that's a testament not only to him, but to the, to the players that are supplying him uh, with the service uh, and, and, and opportunities. But there is something about that. And, and also, with regard to Canada, really quick to go into the CONCACAF stuff. He didn't even start against Mexico, Jonathan David. They went with Kyle Laren instead, and Jonathan David came off the bench. I mean, that just speaks to Canada's depth, and that kind of scares me, and we can get into that when we do our previous yeah. stuff. But with regard to Jonathan David in particular, I think he can do so many different things. I love his energy and his attitude. Even if things aren't going right, he's still trying to do the little details that I think is going to what separates him from everybody else, that he can. He's thinking about he's sniffing around, looking for those half chances that maybe he can turn into goals. And as long as he doesn't lose that, he's going to have a fantastic career. And obviously he's off to a great start. Yeah, JJ,
1: my my question for you is like, how biased are we? John Herbin talks about that humility that Jimmy just talked about with Jonathan David. How biased are we from here in North America of just wanting this player to succeed or actually putting this player on a category of potentially a, a global star in terms of his ability to score goals? Because his track record of scoring goals is pretty incredible. And you talk about the fact that he lost some of his players from last season at Lille and he's continuing it took him a few months to really settle into the club i think 3 months before he scored his first goal and now here he is you know considered one of one of one of the rising stars and still pretty young
2: yeah. I mean, I, I think you alluded to it there. Uh, you know, there was that expectation when he arrived and I think it did crush him at first. You know, he was seen as like the the new hope uh, for, for North American soccer coming to Lille, uh, you know, joining the club at a similar time to, to Timothy Weir who obviously is another major, uh, major hope for, for USMNT uh, moving forward as well. Uh, but you know, I think he's he's taken to Lille, uh like a duck to water. You know, since he got off the mark, uh, you know, after a couple of difficult early months, he's really, really grown into that role. And I think the the difference between this season and last season is he doesn't have Burak Yilmaz doing his crazy sort of, you know, career reinvention, Indian summer, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, where he's banging in goals from like 50 yards out at 35 years of age. That has gone now, you know, little can't rely on that anymore to to get these uh, to get these results that fired them to the title. So now David is performing consistently, uh, you know, finding the back of the net with regularity. uh, And, you know, I, I, I do feel that he is definitely one of the most uh, exciting attackers in European uh, soccer at the moment. I think it's a really positive thing for Lille uh, to be, obviously, to be a French club, but, uh, but to have the ability to to not have minimum fee release clauses written into players contracts because that way they can set the price for David uh, and I think that they will be really loath to separate with him in January at a cut price because I think that they will be able to extract a big big fee for him next summer uh, and I think as well uh, you know if he has another consistent season or continues um, on his current trajectory. You know, he's probably going to hit around maybe 20 goals, which is a very, very good return in Ligue 1. You know, it's quite a defensive league. It's difficult to be prolific, despite what many people would have you believe. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, he is uh, he, he's definitely going to be one to watch uh, in, the, in the coming transfer window. And I, I think that can only bode well for, for Canada and for, the, for North American soccer in general, having someone who is getting close to that level of being a, a real recognized star.
1: JJ, I've got a question on on Conrad De La Fuente and, and Timo Weah. But first, what do you think? What do you think Jonathan David goes for in terms of a transfer fee? If you had to just throw a number out there,
2: I'd say around seventy five to eighty
1: wow. million euros. Wow. wow, I mean by by far a record. Uh, Probably, around,
2: similar you know, to the the fee that we saw Nicolai Pepe go to Arsenal for.
1: Wow. Fair enough. And so uh, Team Wea, this is and Conrad De La Fuente. We could speak of them in, in the same vein. We've seen inconsistent performances at times in the national team where they come in, they don't look quite there. And I'm assuming they suffer from the same because Timo Wea is constantly in and out of the lineup over the last couple of seasons uh, at, at Lille. Conrad De La Fuente also showing glimpses of brilliance, but still lacking a, a, a huge sort of sample size of first-team football at the highest level. What is the sort of impression of those players in, in Ligue 1?
2: I mean, obviously, I know Tim Ware from his time at PSG as well. And I'd say that one thing that held him back earlier in his career was maybe this hesitation between whether he was going to be a wide forward or whether he was going to play through the middle. Uh, I think recently he's had more problems physically than anything else. So it's it's hampered his ability to really settle in and and deliver for Lille. When he gets a good run of games, you know, he is performing quite well. Uh, You know, he does chip in uh, and pull his weight. Uh, But also at the same time, uh, you know, the the team is kind of built around um, around Jonathan David at this moment in time with that dynamic, so it's only natural that he's there. You know, getting more of the opportunities and, and finishing those off. But you know, if Ware takes the chances that come his way, particularly at the beginning of next year when you've got the domestic cup action coming in, uh, you know, I, I think that he could definitely have a, a role to play for Lille, and then we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, heading into the summer, where pretty much anybody at Lille is for sale, so we could see you know both Dave, uh, Jonathan David and Ware on the move at the same time. Uh, on Conrad de la Fuente, uh, you know, he was very, very exciting when he came off the, the bench for his first uh, you know couple of tastes of League 1 action with Marseille. Uh, I feel like his confidence took a major beating when he missed that chance against PSG a couple of uh, weeks back in the classic, uh, you know, had a great opportunity, fluffed his lines. And and since then has kind of drawn back into himself a little bit. Uh, it's a shame. And I'd like to see more of him uh, over the coming, uh, over the coming months, but also at the same time, Marseille is not an easy place to be right now. They seem to be embroiled in all of this kind of scandal, you know, the, the unsavory fan scenes uh, week after week, which, The league are working hard to try and stamp out uh, whether or not they're doing enough. You know, we'll have to wait and see what kind of sanctions they take against Lyon uh, at the beginning of December. But for De La Fuente, uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's been a bit of a bumpy start to life. But there's definitely things to to, to be encouraged by. Uh, You know, I wouldn't be too harsh on him. I just think it's a real shame that he didn't take that chance against PSG, because as soon as you score in a match like that, you instantly write yourself into Marseille or PSG folklore. Yeah, that's amazing. JJ, I know we gotta let you go. So we'll just sound, say goodbye to you
1: now and thank you so much for joining us. Jimmy, you and I will keep this conversation going. I've got a couple questions for you on those players. But JJ, thank you so much. Always pleasure, appreciated. Guys. an expert of the see game. You soon. See you soon. Jimmy, uh, you know, what's your take on on you know, when when I look at uh Conrad and, and then we'll move on to La Liga and give give everyone the rest of the rest of uh the global game, just on Conrad as a player. Do you think Marseille is a step too far? Or is it a step too big in terms of pressure? You know, there's so much luck that goes into finding the right club. When I saw him go from Barcelona B, he was training with the first team to Marseille. I was like, okay, this is a good change, right? 18-year-old, young player, first team minutes. But Marseille is still a big club. And it's a big club in the sense that when things go wrong, they can go really wrong. And a player like that could fall down the depth charts. Or, or as JJ mentioned, you know, confidence takes a hit. Not scoring your your big chance against PSG, but you're also kind of lost in the shuffle of things as a team that's also looking for results. I mean, what what do you think? Do you like this move for him? Do you think it's it's a place that he's going to build that adversity and bounce back into the first team and be a regular?
3: Well, I I, I'm torn because I have some. Sorry, by the way, Conrad's
1: twenty years old. He's not eighteen anymore. I just look at everybody at the time that they came (laughs) into the national team, and I just assume they stay that age forever.
3: So no, that's fair. I do that too, Um, mainly with with uh, like the kids of my friends, like, aren't you supposed to be eight years old forever? Cause you don't see him very often. So I, th- I assume that Conor de la Fuente's parents are your friends, but what I'll say is you have to at some point step up and play. You have to at some point step up and take your opportunity and that nothing's going to be handed to you just because he makes the move from Barcelona to, to Marseille. I assume that Jorge Sampaoli given him a chance or you get to see him in training every single day. You and I've been around enough to know that how you train is obviously a good yeah. indication of how. And he
1: was good play. in preseason games. We saw him in preseason games. He was he good. Was. He had a few highlight moments, but that's not always the whole story for a player and uh, to break into the squad.
3: No, and it's tough, you know. And obviously, he's got some some competition of maybe maybe that wasn't there when he initially signed. You get Jengi Zunder, you know, you you get some players in that that are doing more with what they have and doing more with their time. And then maybe because when you start to get these other players in you start to look at how you set up your team a little bit different. And now they, I, I, personally for me, it feels like they play a little narrow at times, you know, because you have Jengi Zunder kind of pinching in, and you got Gwen Ducey uh, more often than not, um, uh, you know, with Dimitri Payet. And it's just, does De La Fuente fit in with what they're trying to do? Is he, is he providing that? For me right now, he seems to have that super sub spark about him, mm-hmm. but he has to take those minutes when he gets them. And as I tell a lot of my young players that I get to coach, and I'm sure you do the same, you can't control what the coach thinks. You can't control what anybody else thinks about you, but you can't control how you play and your attitude. And and not to say that he's lacking in any of those, but you have to take advantage of the, if you get 10 minutes, you got to go in there and kick some ass in those 10 minutes. You got to be chasing people. You got to, you have to somehow level up over everybody else. And when you get to play at the highest levels with some of the biggest clubs, the fine margins between players is so thin. What are you doing to make a difference? And I don't know if he's doing that enough consistently. And maybe even when we're not watching, not in games, but also in training. So these are all things that I would be looking at if I was a coach or if I was somebody that was consulting with him. Are you doing those little things to make a difference? So I don't know. But but in terms of should he go somewhere else to get minutes? Yeah, I, mean, I guess we could make that have that conversation. But But at what point do you expect him to step up and actually show up and perform for the team he's currently at?
1: I like that, Jimmy. Well said. Uh, I just had to get that question out of you while while I had you. Let's move <laughs> on to let's move on to La Liga. So you know, uh, you know, I'll divert this uh, to another conversation. Let's move on to La Liga. Super big matches coming up over the weekend. We've got starting with uh, we're going to start with Real Madrid versus Sevilla, Jimmy. You know, this is this is one where Real Madrid are are five game five wins in a row across all competitions a team that's in form a Sevilla side that you just always wonder, are they going to round the corner? Obviously a, a big win uh, in Europe uh, in the week to stay alive in, 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 that, in that competition. But uh, what's your thoughts on this one?
3: I love this game. Uh, just so everybody knows about the table, Real Madrid's on top with 30 points. Sevilla are in third on 28 points. So theoretically, if Sevilla wins and gets some help, they could be on top of the table after the end of this weekend. Obviously, as you mentioned, coming off convincing midweek performances, I don't know if FC Sheriff, I think the shine is off of those guys, but going to Moldova to, to get a result is never easy. I agree with you about Sevilla though, that we think they're going to get to this, you know, take this next step and they never seem to do it. And that gives me a little bit of cause for concern. There's no Jesus Navas. Uh, no, Inesri is going to be out as well up top for them. I know they got Ocampos. I know they got Suso. Rakitic should start this game. He's been coming off the bench. Uh, at times to make a difference but I think he'll get the start in this one I like Madrid right now Carlo Ancelotti after losing to Sheriff which was crazy on match day two in the Champions League group stages and then following that with a loss to Espanyol the first time they lost to Espanyol in the league in 25 years they've been in terrific form as you mentioned uh, five games unbeaten four wins and a draw in that time and really seem to have figured it out and obviously with the continued emergence of Vinicius Jr. Rodrigo I thought was very good against Sheriff he might get a start in this Their front three is solid. Then you have that experience in midfield with Casemiro Cruz and Modric. They should start this one. I think David Alaba has been a nice addition to the team. And I think because Varane is hurt and Sergio Ramos has yet to play for PSG, they actually made some bold decisions there to get rid of some centerpieces. And it looks like they made the right decisions. Alaba has been very good. Not only on set pieces, he scored against Sheriff off a deflection, but just just his presence. You know, that's helped Eder Militao get a little bit better. Mendy should start. It's that right back position, I think, is a bit of an issue. Is it Carvajal? Is it Vasquez? Can anybody stay healthy there? Courtois has been good. I actually think that Madrid are going to have enough. And I will say that Madrid are undefeated in 30 of their last 31 La Liga matches and that is a pretty important stat yeah. that I think I'm going to continue to lean in. I really like what Carlo Ancelotti's done with the team.
1: Yeah, that's that's well said. And funny enough, when I was thinking about Aspilicueta, immediately what came to mind was David Alaba in terms of versatility. That player mm-hmm. that can play at a high level, and we've seen Joshua Kimmich be the same. Uh, Philip Lahm, another player that can can do those types of things uh, and have that versatility and just be a leader on the team wherever they're asked to to step in and 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 play. Moving on, Jimmy, let's go to a Villarreal versus. Barcelona, another big match over the weekend. Jimmy, you mentioned Real very early on in the show. I want to get your take on 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 your positioning or or what you wanted to say about them in this matchup.
3: With regard to a or Barcelona, I'm sorry. I mean either one, but you right had on. mentioned Villarreal or, uh, earlier oh, on. Oh yeah, show, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and wanted no, to know kind of what your positioning was on this and this match. No,
3: this I think Real actually has been pretty good. Uh, if you don't count like taking advantage of your opportunities when you're when you're sitting in front of goal. Even in their game against Manchester United, yes, they they gave up two late goals. Last 15 minutes, they gave up two goals. They made David De Gea work in that one. They had some unbelievable opportunities. De Gea was excellent in that particular game. And this is a Villarreal team without Gerard Moreno, who's hurt, and I think that shows. They, they lack a little bit of that composure in the attacking third to really finish off their opportunities. The, the week before that, they tied with Celta Vigo 1-1. But they were dominant for the first 70 minutes, and should have been up three or four zero at that point, but it was only one zero. And then they give up. They lap they this lapses in concentration, and uh, it was one one. And they had, actually should have lost at the very end there. And um, that's what worries me about this Villarreal team. Can they can they keep it together for ninety minutes? Now this Barcelona team, I think they're only good for forty five minutes under the current way that Xavi wants to play, and and that's going to be a big challenge for them. Now, in fairness, Xavi's figured out something defensively, which was a bit of a vulnerability for them. Because they have two clean sheets since he showed up. Now, I will say Espanol should have scored one or two, and we're fortunate, Barcelona, that the, the crossbar and, and post were their, were their friends, and Ter Stegen had a very good game. I, I don't know about this Barcelona team. I could see a draw here, frankly. I like the draw between Villarreal and Barcelona. Uh, obviously, Aguero's now out, unfortunately, due to the heart issue. You know, they're still trying to figure out who their best 11 is. You know, his desk might be available on this one. Danny Alves, I think, will be a big boost, even if he's not playing yet. Him being around, I think, makes a Makes a big difference for that team. I don't know what your thoughts on on Villarreal and Barcelona are, Heath, but I'm curious to hear them.
1: Yeah, and Valdez throws up the the other results uh, or the other matches for the upcoming weekend for La Liga if he has them. I mean, my thoughts are just that when you say Xavi figured out something defensively, I think he figured it out and told them, "Hey, we have to play defense. That's part of this game. You have <laughs> yeah, to play exactly. defense. You have to be very good." And again, I think they're still miles away from being able to. Uh, play in the way that they play. We've talked about it before, the transition game, what Barcelona are best at is being good in that transition of knowing when you have good possession in high areas, how to then transition into killing any sort of counterattacks, whether that's with a foul, whether that's pouncing, whether that's closing off the spaces, just finding ways to win back the ball in good spots so you're not having to go long periods where you have to defend because when Barcelona are forced to defend honestly, that's when they really, really struggle. Barcelona have always been good at not allowing you to get them into positions where they're vulnerable. And if they can get back to that with Xavi, I think uh, they've they've got the chance. But this is one, again, like you talked about, that match Real versus versus Real Madrid, where I mean not Real Madrid, uh, Manchester United, where they're just so good on the attack. And again, if it wasn't for uh, a player having one of his best matches of the year and David de- David de Gea, uh, I just you know if they can get if they can do that against Barcelona, they're going to score some goals. Um, uh, moving on to just other matches uh, happening over the weekend. Hold Malincia, on, hold on, to t- yeah? time
3: out. I just want to say that I'm going to do a parlay in La Liga, a little La Fiesta Parliesta here. And I like Madrid to win and the, the draw between Villarreal, Barcelona. That's plus 461. Oh, that's so actually, good. Yeah, that's good. It's not bad. There. It's not, I'm yeah. just saying, I'm just
1: throwing that out there. Yeah. All right. I I, I like Continue. that. And, and uh, sorry, Des. I didn't get a chance to see some of those games, but uh, if we want to throw them up or not, otherwise we can move on. Uh, obviously, uh, Athletic Club playing Granada. Uh, what are, what are some other big matchups in here? Batiste playing Levant. Uh, Espanol against Sociedad, who've been again, good. And Cadiz. As they say uh, locally, against Atletico de Madrid. Yeah, and I'm curious about
3: Atleti. Just really quick about Atleti, just so much talent going forward. And Diego Simeone, I feel like puts the handcuffs on. So I'm curious to see how against how they do against Cadiz, who are just going to be a challenge. You know, anytime you're like mid to lower table and in any league, it's always going to be a grind. So yeah. we'll see how they do. Understandable. Well,
1: Jimmy, we are well over the hour mark, so let's get on to the other games. Uh... We're not well over. We're a minute over, Jimmy, so don't worry. Uh the other games happening around the globe. MLS playoffs continue. Sporting KC taking on Real Salt Lake. I don't know if anybody watches that intently, but if you did, Real Salt Lake went through without a single shot in the match. Winning Unbelievable, on penalties. By the way. Yeah, it's real wild. Uh, and and not a great look, but an amazing storyline. They'll play sporting KC and then Philadelphia Union taking on Nashville. Uh, both of those games happening on Sunday. Jimmy, is, do one of those games stand out to you as as, an, as a big one or one that you're most interested in? Obviously, Sporting KC, your former yes. club.
3: Yeah. I mean, if you ever have a chance to go to Sporting Kansas City's stadium, my name's up in the stadium. That's my flex of the day. It only took me an hour and two minutes, Heath Pierce, for all you people that are counting about my flexes. So no, but I'm pulling for the club. I was there for eight years. Uh, I was coached by Peter Vermes. He's still in charge. And And I'm excited for them to have another crack at RSL. Obviously, there's some controversy on Decision Day, which even got RSL into the playoffs in the first place. And They turned that in with a Sterling performance at Seattle with zero shots on goal. That won't work this time around, especially if they go to to penalties because Tim Mealy is one of the best penalty stoppers as a goalkeeper in the history of the sport. I'm even bigger than MLS. He's unbelievable. And saving penalties so that's maybe not the best strategy this time around they're gonna to have to come out and play and i think kansas city will have enough especially because they get the host of the game kansas city thought they were going to be traveling to seattle for the next round and they get the benefit of an extra home game plus they get the, the benefit of an extra couple of days of rest uh, salt lake will be coming in with like four and a half days of rest they have to travel yet again i think they're going to run out of steam and, and their, their bubble's going to burst i really like the philadelphia nashville game though these are two of the best defensive teams in all of mls but I do think that with, when it comes down to the players that can make plays, Mukhtar for Nashville was excellent in the first round, in particular against Orlando. They went down a goal, Daryl DK scored on a set piece. Shout out really quick from a U.S. men's national team perspective. We have yet to score on a set piece in World Cup qualifying, and Daryl DK, very good on set pieces. So I don't know if Greg Burhalter is listening. We know that he does. We know he's a loyal <laughs> subscriber. But, but but just something to keep in mind as games get a little tight uh, moving forward. But, but – I will say there's something about Nashville that I really like. They only lost four games all season. They're kings of the draw, but they don't know how to lose, and I think that's going to keep them into it. Philadelphia Union, though, I'm a big fan of Jimmy Curtin, a longtime f- a friend of his and an opponent when we were on the fields. He's the coach. Uh, Alejandro Bedoya, you know, both of our teammate. He's our teammate for us on on the national team. They have something too, but. I don't know. I feel like Nashville is just going to have a little bit. I know Philly fans are going to be like, we hate you, Jimmy Conrad. I get it. I get it. I get it. And I want you guys to win because you just have that vibe where you don't always win the big one. But uh, there's something about this Nashville team that I really like. So yeah. I'm looking forward to both of these games. Uh, less so with the Salt Lake one. More hopefully Sporting Kansas City smashing them 5-0. But but, but more. with that. F- Honestly, if you're going to sit down and watch an MLS game, and it might be a bit of a battle, but I really like the Philly-Nashville matchup. I just think it's going to be a good game with some talented players on the field. I like that, Jimmy. I'm not even going to say more than that, so we can move on to the last or one of
1: the other big games. Sorry if we missed anything that you guys want. Make sure you guys are commenting uh, on on audio, wherever matches or things that are important to you to make sure that we add those into our different shows. But Copa Libertadores final, Palmeiras contra Flamengo. Uh, Jimmy, the 2020 champion versus the 2019 champion books the ticket. To FIFA's Club World Cup. It's the last ticket, by the way. Um, you know, what's your take on this one?
3: This is unbelievable because, as you mentioned, they're the two last reigning champions of this competition, for everybody that doesn't know, Copa Libertadores is, is the Champions League of South America. It's a very big deal. And I'm really pushing for Paramount Plus and cbs to get the rights to this competition it's 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 unreal and, well they've and got the a, brazilian league they've got the argentinian league now I know they're,
1: they're, to, to put it all together you got to just get that you got uh, it you get there you COVID. gotta do
3: it you gotta do it i'm putting some pressure on them publicly now to make that happen because it is a special competition this what's interesting between these two brazilian clubs that are in the final in their last 45 games against each other palmeiras has won 15 times Flamengo has won 15 times, and there's been 15 draws. Is that insane or what? That is unbelievable. Now, now, if Palmeiras wins it back-to-back, they'll be the first team to win back-to-back Copa Libertadores trophies since Boca Juniors, my club, did it in 2000 and 2001. So it's a pretty rare occurrence for them to make it happen. I'm going to go on current form. And on current form, Palmeiras, the Pigs, okay, they have three losses and a draw. It hasn't been good. And when I look at what Flamingo's doing, they're they're the opposite. They have been in very good form. They're scoring a bunch of goals. So I'm getting it up right now. They they are four wins out of their last five. That's four, four wins and a draw. But I think it even goes more than that. And I'm gonna go, I'm just gonna go with current form. Oh, yeah, they've been excellent. Oh my God. When I'm looking at their current form, they've been awesome. One, two, three, four, fives. So they've won, they're unbeaten in their last nine, and they've won seven out of those nine. So wow. I'm probably going to go with Flamengo just on current form. It's going to be tight, as I mentioned with that first stat. The, the, there's really fine margins between these particular teams. And maybe Palmeiras can lean on the fact that they won it last year and, and they know how to do it. But but I think current form does matter. It should play into how we look at this game. And, and I think that uh, Flamengo is my team.
1: I like that, Jimmy. I like that. I'm going to let you stay the star of this show, Jimmy, and I'm just going to be the host driving this boat, and we're going to send this on its way, but we thank all of you for watching and or listening. Follow K Golasso podcast on Twitter at K Golasso Pod. Subscribe to the K Golasso page on YouTube and hit the notification bell. And of course, subscribe to K Golasso wherever you get your podcast. And as a reminder, it'll be Jimmy and I on Sunday. I believe Jimmy, you're with me. That's oh, correct. you're gonna be hosting this one. We're gonna flip the script. You Jimmy's know gonna host. I'm gonna be the smart guy for a day. I'm gonna try my best anyway for the weekend recap. <laughs> Uh, live, so make sure you join us for that. And until next time, from Des Norris, our producer, Jimmy Conrad, myself, and Jonathan Johnson. Thank you so much.
4: Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.